Hi, Shannon Waller here, and welcome to the Team Success Podcast. This is a really special episode because I am finally getting to sit down with someone that I have heard about forever and comes very highly recommended by a number of our strategic coach clients, particularly in 10X. Lee Richter is coming to mind. And one of the things that's really fun about Lee is that she is very particular (laughs) about who she recommends, which I really appreciate about you, Lee, by the way, if you're listening. And it's fun because she knows a lot of people, has tested a lot of different services. And anytime anyone's talking about any kind of virtual support, especially at a high level, she's like, you've got to talk to Nick Sonnenberg. You've got to get in touch with Leverage. So that, amongst many others, including our coach, Lee Brower, speak really highly of you. And I got to meet you finally, Nick. We kind of spot each other from across the room, which was fun, at Giovanni's Archangel X event a few months ago. And then through conversations, an axe-throwing event, <laughs> you know, agreed to be on each other's podcast. So I am thrilled, thrilled, thrilled that you can spend some time with us today. And uh, thanks for joining me. Thank you so much for having me. That axe-throwing was pretty fun, wasn't it? <laughs> it was really fun. <laughs> and you'll see why later as we get to know you a bit better, Nick, why Nick was going for the hardest, most challenging, but also highest point, you know, <laughs> scoring way. Go which, big or go home. Which worked a couple of times and, and one other time not so well. <laughs> well, it worked well the first time where I said, look, I'm going to go for it and I hit it. And yes. it was like a magic trick. We're like, do that again. And Lee Richter is awesome. So hi, Lee, if you're listening. <laughs> We'll have to let her know we gave her a shout out. Cool. Now, Nick, you are an expert in, I would call, any kind of efficiency hacks, ways that entrepreneurs and teams can work better together. You know an enormous amount about technology, but you also really think about teamwork from an incredible efficiency and process perspective. So we're going to do a deep dive into that and the mindsets that are required to actually do that successfully. It's kind of fun as I was preparing for our conversation today and hearing about all the different ways that you kind of hack productivity. It's very easy to go, oh, I don't do that. I don't do that. I don't do that. <laughs> so I know I'll get better just as a result of this conversation. I'm excited for our audience to do as well. But first of all, let's jump into a little bit about your background because you bring a really interesting experience and engineering perspective to what you do. Well, thanks for the intro. So You're welcome. before becoming an entrepreneur, my background was in finance. So my degree was in financial engineering. And then I was a high frequency algorithmic trader for eight years, which basically means I'm coming up with algorithms. I knew nothing about the stocks that I would trade. It was all purely based off of math and algorithms that I'd create. And at a young age, like by 23, I was managing billions of dollars and coding computers to trade stocks programmatically at ultra, ultra high speeds, like we're talking microseconds. And yeah, it was all math-based. And in some markets, you know, I might be, you know, multiple percentage points of market share of, of a given market. So my story is I was doing that for a while. By 26, I'm doing really well. I created an algorithm that was making a lot of money for the bank millionaire by 26, living in the four seasons in Hong Kong. But I wasn't really fulfilled. And I was living in Asia. I wanted to move back to New York. I had some ideas for a startup. And I decided I was at a point in my life where I wanted to take on a new challenge. And I thought that I would regret it if I never took the leap and tried becoming an entrepreneur and testing out these ideas. So I gave up the money to become an entrepreneur. And At first, I was really scared because what I was doing, it was specifically called index arbitrage. It's 
you know, maybe a hundred people in the world do this type of finance. It's a real like niche, niche part of finance, mm-hmm. right? It's not like when you watch a movie and like I'm wearing a suit and going and having meetings, right? Like I was with the dorky people, like people with PhDs in math. You don't talk to anyone and it's really just you stick on headphones and you're looking at data all day long, trying to figure out ways to extract opportunity from the market. But actually, while being a high-frequency trader, I realized, and this is what I like about what you guys do at Coach, is that you have this concept of unique ability. And it was while I was a high-frequency trader, I realized that one of my key unique abilities wasn't that I was the best in the world at math. I mean, I'm very good at math. I came top of my class in grad school. Like I won the award for best thesis and stuff. But there are plenty of people better than me at math. But where I realized, and this was such a benefit realizing one of your unique abilities at an early age was I was very good at math, but I was also good at the business side of things. So mm-hmm. a lot of people would just go down a rabbit hole trying to throw more complex math at the problem. But then I would take a step back and I would read like the rules of the exchange. How are they processing orders? What do the order IDs look like when it comes back? All these different things. And then I would apply math on top of it to extract kind of an opportunity, you know, or tax log. In Hong Kong, there's a 10.9 basis point stamp duty. If you could figure out a way to avoid that, then you don't need to rely on super complex math. You could just, you know, get 80% there with pretty advanced math, but take advantage of it. So I realized my unique ability at a young age. And when I quit, I was kind of worried, this is such a niche thing. Where am I going to apply it? But what I started realizing is it teaches you really a way to think and be analytical mm-hmm. and approach problems from different ways. And also I developed an appreciation for time because in that job, microseconds can mean millions and everything was automated, not just the trading, but I would automate making sure that the systems were correct. So eventually, ultimately I'm really lazy. And so (laughs) if you're smart and lazy, it's a good combo because like what I would start doing is I would start creating scripts to do things that manually I'd have to do. So eventually I could get to work 10 minutes before the market open hit a button, and all the programs would open up in exact positions on the screen. Systems would get checked to make sure that like, you had the right state of the world in the system. So in the end, I left high-frequency trading to be an entrepreneur. And now what I'm starting to realize in this new space with leverage and then also with bullseye and my efficiency consulting is it's really similar thinking. It's I'm passionate about saving time, which mm-hmm. was a big part of high-frequency trading. And how do you leverage all these systems and tools so that you're not going on this scavenger hunt, wasting time, not focusing on your unique ability? So there is a lot of overlap with thinking process of my past life and my current life. That makes sense. I love it. So just for fun, what do you love most about being an entrepreneur now? I love being able to control my schedule, not having a boss. High frequency trading was great, and I loved some of my bosses, but... Still, you know, if you make a lot of money for them, say you make $20 million of profit for the company, 10 people get a piece of that bonus before it gets to you, right? (laughs) Yeah. And you still have to be in a desk at a certain time. So I like the flexibility and freedom. Mm -hmm. And I think freedom for me is ultimately what I'm trying to gain out of it. Freedom Mm -hmm. to work where I want, when I want, whatever I want, right? So ultimately, it's all about freedom for me. I love it. And it's fun because that really does align with strategic coach as well. Because the whole thing, the whole raison d'etre, the purpose behind our company is to expand entrepreneurial freedom. And there's lots of different ramifications about that. But I love that we actually want the same thing. Just get there 
very complementary ways, which is super cool. There's so much overlap, like some of the concepts, unique ability, like that's like a core value of my company, right? Like at Leverage, which we can get into that later if we, if we want, but sure. I want myself, my team and my clients all to be able to focus on things that give them joy or things that tap into their unique ability, which is why Leverage, I built it because I want that. And if someone like me, I'm not a good writer. So if I can outsource my writing and free up my time to do data science or other things, that's a win, especially if the person that's writing is better and enjoys it. So that's a concept I love that you guys have. And then also the who, not how, and there's a bunch of them. Isn't that the best? <laughs> Which is all unique ability. Honestly, teamwork, like, really. <laughs> I yeah. want to talk to Dan to see if you would let me even use it as a tagline in my company because it's just like <laughs> so perfect for my company. It is a registered trademark just to <laughs> let you know. No, I know. That's why I said I would have to get permission. <laughs> For sure. Well, it actually, that's a really good point. And let's talk about leverage because as we're referring to it, people are like, what is this leverage thing? So I think getting into it is wise, but the whole point is and how you've tied together is great because you are freeing yourself up from all the time and the tasks that are not your unique ability, that don't give you joy, that are not really fun. And what I've learned painfully is that when I'm really good at something and I love to do it, which is the most micro version definition of unique ability, I'm actually relatively efficient. And everything else, not so much. And so anything else, I'm, I call it slow as molasses on a cold day, which is an expression I stole from one of our old coaches, Dan Taylor. But it's true. Anytime I go into an area of non-unique ability, it's like I just grind to a halt. And it's really frustrating. I think a lot of entrepreneurs and team members can go into our concept of the gap where you feel like you're not good enough. You're not making progress. Where in an area where it is your skill set and your passion, it's really easy to make progress. So I'll put my very vague definition of leverage and that you can let us know what it really is. But leverage really supports entrepreneurs and teams with that ability to outsource everything that's not that team's unique ability. And you do it in a really productive, cool way. And probably because you did that as you create the company. So I know you're your own model, <laughs> which is really awesome. So what is leverage and why should we be interested? Right. So leverage, ultimately what we do is we give entrepreneurs, business owners, Typically, small to medium-sized businesses, we give you a team of around 100 vetted freelancers that could do basically anything that you would need. So in this team, you get writers, you get marketing strategists, you get social media people, you get people that can design you a website, build you a website, do some admin stuff, do a sales funnel, automation, whatever you would basically need. And without the hassle of having to one, find a full-time person, which is a big commitment and a time suck, or go onto one of these platforms with a million people. And it's like finding a needle in a haystack to find anyone good. Mm -hmm. And if you do get lucky, you're then managing some random person in another country. And you typically need more than just one person. So then you're hiring multiple people. And then you're, you're having to manage all these individuals that have no interconnectedness with each other. So the problem that we're solving is we just make it really easy to get work done, tasks and projects. We give you this team, we guarantee the work. So if you're not happy, you're dealing with a company, not with an individual. Mm -hmm. We're constantly training people, we're capturing preferences of people, we're constantly updating internal playbooks of best practices. You know, we're really fortunate to have some of the world's kind of leading influencers that you would have heard of. And they're giving us tasks and projects to do for them. And if it's a good idea, we might update a playbook like, hey, when we do a book launch, that's a pretty cool idea. Let's update that to the book launch playbook. So 
it's not just about getting work done. It's the fact that we're constantly educating people and learning and getting smarter. Mm -hmm. And another big part too, is it's not just execution, but it's strategy. Probably the biggest problem that we find entrepreneurs have is they don't know what they don't know. Mm -hmm. This is something we're getting better at, but a lot of people might come to us and say, hey, I want you to do LinkedIn ads for us, right? And we can execute that. But if you just take a step back and you look at their website, they don't even have email capture on their website or they don't have even like pixel retargeting or other things. So, and this is coming kind of from Jay Abraham, who's a dear friend. He recommends instead of calling people customers, calling them clients and looking at it from a fiduciary duty. Mm. But rather than just being an execution arm for people, what we're moving more towards, which is way higher value, is pushing back and being more strategic and saying, hey, look, we could do that for you. But what we suggest is you're not even ready for that. Like, Why don't we set you up first with pixel retargeting? Because if someone's coming to your website, they've already shown interest. So rather than doing random ads to people, let's retarget the people that are already interested. Mm -hmm. Let's put email capture. So at least we're not throwing money on the ads and we can like follow up with them, right? So moving much more to being like a partner with small businesses and where we're giving both strategic advice as well as executional help, that's what leverage helps you with. I actually had just written down the word partner <laughs> and then you said it. As you're describing, I'm like, that's exactly... I work with my very close friend and colleague, Nicole, and she's a live, not a virtual human. I was looking originally for a, well, we call it a strategic assistant, but really what I was looking for was a strategic support partner. You can't advertise for that because no one has any clue what you mean. But as soon as we were in the interview process with him, I'm like, this is what you need to be in this role. So that's what you are only with lots of people, which is really a powerful model. And I love that you're beyond execution because I've gotten overwhelmed as I've looked at other sites with lots of different people. And I'm a bad general contractor, right? Yeah. And like it's like having to manage all the subs. It's like you play that role, actually. You're the master coordinator yeah. and that has the strategy. Like I can imagine some of your clients, actually, you run their whole business. Is that the case? Yeah. They're literally people that we're supporting their entire business. They've gotten rid of all of their staff and they're just having us run everything. Wow, that's amazing. I have goosebumps now thinking about it. Like that's the stuff that really excites me, like that we've changed the whole way some companies are operating. You know, that's what keeps me going and get, <laughs> getting excited about all the stuff that we have in the pipeline to even be better. That's amazing. So just out of curiosity, because I always go to the practical, like how does this work? So if I'm setting up a company or if I have a company and then I'm like, okay, I'm thinking about I need some marketing capability. I want to do a launch. Does someone sit down with me and coach me on this strategy? Or if I'm asking for this, you're like, just what you said, no, you actually want that. How does that process work? Yeah. So we're completely changing the client journey now. So what we're moving towards, because by the time this comes out, it'll, this will probably be the case, mm -hmm. but we're going to offer people like as included in whatever plan you sign up for a one-time audit, mm. you know, it's going to be like, if you want it normally, it'll be like a thousand dollars, but you get it for free one time when you first sign up or we kind of go over, there's like a common 10 things that we've identified with all companies, like a business audit checklist that we go through and we do some pre-work and we kind of come, hey, this is the state from our research and hitting these 10 points. This is where we see we could be helpful for you. Right? Wow. And then if you're on a higher plan, you get an account manager where you can talk about things. But part of leverage includes some of the world's top marketing specialists and you can sit with them as a paid project 
and they can create from there like a full-blown marketing strategy for you. And you could execute it yourself or we could execute it for you. Wow, that's incredible. You just made more possibilities available for people in the world. I love that. And more freedom. So that's exciting. And you, I know you have different level plans, and we'll probably get to that at the end as people want to know how to get in touch with you. And if you're curious right now, it's getleverage.com. That's the URL. So that's how you can find Nick. And Nick, you have your own podcast too. So there's lots of ways that we'll connect Nick with you later. Now, one of the things that I also find really interesting, because I'm coaching entrepreneurs on the right attitude to have with their teams and team members on the right attitude to have with their people and with their entrepreneurs. So I'm sure you've had, most of us have had, we have best and worst client stories, right? There's some clients who are like, oh my gosh, like Lee, who are just like amazing to work with and dreamy. And you're like, oh, can everyone be like you? And then there we have our usually past client experiences where it's like, oh, never do that again. So what do you notice? And usually that's how Dan Sullivan gets it, people figuring out the mindsets required. But what's kind of necessary for someone to be a successful client. And this is true for leverage. It's probably true for some other people in a related space. I mean, I have my take on what's necessary for teamwork, but I'd love to know what are some of the success factors or ways that people need to be looking at things to be successful to do this. So for a client to be successful working with us? Yeah. How do they need to be able to think about things? Well, I think just delegating in general, and this isn't just if you want to use leverage or not, but I think that people in general are bad at delegating, Mm -hmm. right? So one thing that a lot of people assume is that everyone's a mind reader. So we've literally had tasks in the past where it's like, book me a flight and that's all the information, right? Like no location, no <laughs> date, right? When? So Yeah. So this is more just general delegation, whether you're delegating to a freelancer or to your team is people aren't mind readers. So be aware of that. And also spend the extra bit of time explaining why you want it done and what does success look like. And I find that I don't, just suggest that to my clients, but I try doing that with my team internally too. Because a lot of the times, if you have to detail every single step out, you're inevitably going to miss something, right? And if you empower people to kind of fill in gaps by telling them the why and what does success look like, they'll be able to fill in those 100 gaps. It'll save you time ultimately in the long run. Mm -hmm. And also they might come up with something better than what you had in mind too, right? So it's kind of like that your concept of an impact filter almost. Yes. So what does success look like? And also why? If you don't explain the why, you kind of miss some of the gaps that they might otherwise find. I think that's a great point. Another conversation I was listening to you, and you've discovered the same thing that I have, is people don't think that other people are as good mm-hmm. at doing things. And it's recognizing that other people can do it just as well or better, or even if it's to use the example you were talking about was 80%. Yeah. That's great. Yeah. I mean, I'm a bit of a perfectionist myself, but still, if someone could do a job 80%, and sometimes it's way higher. Sometimes they'll do a better job than me, especially writing. Like I outsource all of my writing. If you've ever read an ink article of mine, I don't touch a single word in that thing. And it's for the best because it would be terrible if I did it. But <laughs> even if I did a better job and it was 80% as good, back to unique ability, like that's freeing up all my time to work on things that I'm way more than 80%, right? Mm-hmm. Like there's some things that I'm a hundred times or a million times better at other people. So that's where I should be focusing my attention. And if someone's 80% as good at me in, on something, it's a win. I love that. Any other factors or kind of mindsets, attitudes, whatever word you want to use that you think are kind of essential for someone who is a good 
teamwork partner with you, with live people, with their own teams? What else have you discovered in working with clients in terms of kind of what matters? So with working with clients? When you're working with your clients. Like I know for me, I've had some, you know, people who've wanted some teamwork coaching and then they just really weren't essentially open to the idea or weren't ready. You know, there's different lists of, if you think about some of your things that didn't work out as well. What are some things that you learned from that? Well, one lesson learned is fire clients that aren't good fits. Yes, exactly. So kind of like one thing that we did, it took us a couple of years to realize it, but, you know, identify kind of the clients that are really eating up a lot of time that aren't a good fit that are causing. Now, if someone's complaining and it's justified, that's one thing. But if someone is just never happy and you analyze it and it's just not a good fit, mm-hmm. kind of like hire slow, fire fast, do the same with your clients, not just internally. I think that's learned. very good advice. <laughs> yeah. And I think that is actually one of the mindsets that's important is to make sure that you are someone who's appreciative of others' efforts and appreciate how much time it's freed up for you. Right. And that even if they do it differently, it still works. And I think too, this is back to what I was saying about client journey. It's something that we're completely redoing now, but that's a great leverage project if you're coming to leverage is a lot of clients don't audit their own client and customer journey, mm. right? And I think to, like, to answer your question, I think that a proper client journey and client onboarding experience, you should have proper intake forms and questions to have a filter up front. If you get the sense that they're not a good fit or they're answering certain questions in a way that's not congruent with mm-hmm. your offering or the type of client that you really can support, right? you're not letting them in the door in the first place. Yeah, it also makes sure that you're aligning expectations so that people are realistic in terms of what's possible. Oh, I love that. Fantastic. Now, for fun, just changing directions a smidge. Now, you write a lot, in my my opinion. You put out stuff. You've got ink articles. You've got a book. I heard you're working on a new one. So how do you write books without writing books? So one thing that I think about a lot and you guys can feel free to steal this concept if you, if you don't already have this concept. But just like people talk about return on investment, ROI, I talk about ROT, return on time. So mm. it's not just about what to outsource, but it's how to outsource, right? So for me, a terrible thing to outsource is like booking a dinner reservation because by the time I explain it to someone, it takes me two minutes to explain it. And maybe it's a three-minute thing. So like you've only gained a little bit, right? So the things that I'm always looking for is how do I maximize return on time? So the way I was first writing ink articles was it was still pretty efficient. When I was in an Uber or a cab, I would spend that time, which is typically dead time, like low productive time. And I would try to turn it into high productive time. And I would audio record some content and send it to my ghostwriter who would listen to it, create an ink article out of it, coordinate with ink. Once it's out, then he would coordinate with the social media team to blast it out. So super high return on time. I spend three minutes on an audio during like dead time. And then next thing I know, it's an ink. Now what I do is I'll just connect him with someone interesting, say like, hey, I think that we could write a really interesting article about high performing teams, figure it out. And that's it. So now I've cut it down to about 20 seconds. That's sweet. That's awesome. And obviously a very talented ghostwriter. Oh, yeah. Aiden's great. That's how I write so much. So he's helping me with my next book along with Tucker Max's company. We're collaborating on that. 
Oh, sweet. I heard great things. And Tucker's working with Dan yeah. too. But yeah, like return on time is, so time is not all worth the same. Like a minute at 9am on a Monday is not worth the same as a minute at six o'clock on a Friday when you're tired and you're in a cab, right? Even though it's both a minute, it's not worth the same, both of those minutes. So how do you take time that's less valuable time and convert it into higher value time? Mm-hmm. I love right? that. And then how do you delegate in a way where the output that you're getting in terms of ratio is as big of a multiplier compared to the input that you put into it? And you're always looking for those multipliers, right? Like that's how you think yeah, about so, things. So how do you get that multiplier where the output is going to be 100x what I put into it. That's super cool. I love that. What is your next book about? I'm dying of curiosity. Oh, I think that you're going to love it. So one thing (laughs) that we both have in common is like we talk a lot about team performance, right? Mm So I'm really passionate about how teams can work together as productively as possible. So team productivity is way more complicated than individual productivity, right? It involves collaboration, coordination. Sometimes one team member has to sacrifice their productivity for the greater good of the team. So it's just like way more complex. Like productivity is necessary, but not sufficient for a team to be productive. Mm. And when you get hired at companies, you get an employee manual of time off or health insurance or these types of things. But No one gives you a book where it's like, hey, these are the tools that we use. And tools will change, but the concepts won't. So no one gives you a manual like, hey, these are the types of tools we use, and this is how we use it and when to use it, and then kind of going a bit more advanced into it. So mine is, as opposed to being a book, which is for individual productivity or for a founder or a CEO, this is for the whole company, like the manual for them to collaborate efficiently together, use new tools and systems that are available that have only just come out on the market in the last few years. And there's no rule book how to use these things properly. And if you don't set up some of these tools properly, it can hurt your team's productivity. So this, from what I know, is going to be the first book, which is like a guideline with the new types of tools out there. This is how and when you should use which of them to maximize team productivity. And the title of the book is called Come Up for Air, How Your Team Can Leverage Systems and Tools to Stop Drowning in Work. Because so many companies nowadays... They're drowning because they're lacking systems and processes and rules around when to use things. And what it causes is what I call the scavenger hunt, which every company that I've ever consulted for, you know what I'm talking about with the scavenger hunt where it's like, hey, what did Shannon tell me? And it was that in a text message? Was it an email? Was it in Slack? Or is it in Trello? Or was it in a group message? And that's no one's unique ability going on the scavenger hunt. (laughs) So... This book, ultimately, the purpose is to remove the scavenger hunt in companies. Awesome. So I want to book this in now. Can I interview you when that book is done, please? It would be my honor. Yay. (laughs) I can't wait. Well, I love it because collaboration has become a real, I'm going to say, buzzword around coach right now. And how to collaborate and efficiently is so hard. And it's interesting, just to tie this back to what I know from Kathy Colby, so what she measures and what the Colby profile measures is how people strive and take action. And she noticed that when a company is started, often it's started by quick starts, people who very much big idea people, you know, and willing to jump off the cliff and then, you know, build the parachute on the way down kind of people. And then often what comes in next are fact finders. People are going to get detailed and specific and more accurate about 
delivering the idea. We have implementer two, which is a physical hands-on part, but the last thing to come in is our process and systems. And we see that, I'm sure I see that, you see that with smaller companies. They've got the idea, they're delivering something to the marketplace, it's pretty good, but they do it one way on Monday and a different way on Friday, and they're wondering why they can't come up for air. (laughs) So this is so needed. I am so excited about this. I did a lot of dumb things with the company, but one thing that I did smart was we set up systems and processes and built a culture around documentation. Mm. So one thing that we do even is, so removing bottlenecks is something that I'm constantly trying to do in the company. You know, I've lived through a co-founder leaving. Had we not have documented everything, that's the type of stuff that can bankrupt a company. Uh So many people, when you go to the conferences that we go to and speak, everyone's excited about scale. Like, how do you move faster? Like, how are you going to 10x your revenue? And a lot of people neglect the ticking time bomb that's sitting in their company. Like, is there a bottleneck that's so great in your company that if that person were to leave tomorrow, Uh it's going to set you back a year? Like, for me, there's two ways to scale. You move faster and you avoid going backwards. And the documenting (laughs) of processes is how you avoid going backwards. And so if someone comes up with a great idea, it's great. That's awesome. Put it into, we use process street, put it in process street. And we stress test our processes to make sure that there's no bottlenecks. So we rotate positions every quarter. We make people rotate for a week. So someone that's doing sales will do customer support. Customer support will do payroll. And it's a great way to stress test that the processes are well-documented, right? And you know what's well-documented if someone could just pick up and do payroll, for example, without the finance person's help with screenshots and pointing to things. That's how you know that it's well-documented. And what it also does, and I stole this from the high-frequency trading days, but it sparks innovation, Uh like fresh eyes spark innovation. So one thing, and I'm sure you've seen this a lot in coach is if you ask people, why do you do something? The answer is, well, that's the way that it's always been done. And a way to a good practice to avoid that is by documenting and rotating because then you're constantly stress testing and you don't just sit back and do payroll the same way for the last five years or do onboarding the same way for the last five years. Like when I was a high frequency trader, I used to have to take a two-week block leave every year. I couldn't log into email on my phone. I couldn't come into the office. It was a way to make sure I wasn't hiding trades. And before I left, we didn't have these fancy tools. So I'd have to write an email like, this is how my algorithm works. This is how to start the portfolio. This is what's happening in the market. If this happens, do this. But what always would happen, even though I was like the expert at that algorithm or that market, there was always an improvement to how my book traded, right? Because fresh eyes spark innovation. Like if you're looking here all the time, someone less experienced from you might start asking different questions and looking at it. And that's really valuable. So we've built a culture around that. That is so smart. I love that. So we have a paper tool. So I want to hear more about Process Street. We have a paper tool called Unique Method, which is simply 12 boxes in a horseshoe shape. So it's pretty straightforward. And it's a graphic representation of process because I don't love just pages and pages of how you're supposed to do things, these big binders that people put together sometimes. And one of our clients said, well, the fact that you have your processes documented, he's a business valuation specialist. He said, you have just doubled the value of your company. Because most companies, so much of their worth walks out the door at five or six o'clock at night. Yeah, It was like, oh, we didn't know that. Now, our challenge is a lot of those are old, they're updated, where do you store them? They're not interactive. So we haven't moved it into the digital realm. I mean, we do have ways that people can use them 
obviously digitally. But tell me about Process Street because I've heard it mentioned a couple of times now and I'm curious. It's a great tool. Process documentation. So I have a business efficiency framework I call CPR. It stands for Communicate, Plan, and Resource. And process documentation falls into the resource bucket. And it's the most overlooked thing that I've found in consulting with businesses, you know, and it's the hardest for a good reason. It takes the longest time to document processes well, right? So Process Street's a great tool. The CEO and I are are close friends. You're going to be coming to my Bullseye event in February. He comes to the event too and helps you implement processes. So come with that horseshoe and we'll put it into Process Street for you. (laughs) Okay, I'll do that. So in this R bucket of resource, and my book, Come Up for Air, is centered around this framework. Basically, I created it unknowingly from building leverage, but then also I started consulting for other companies, small companies up to Hoopery and other larger companies. Everyone struggled with these three areas, and the documenting process is the most overlooked. But I look at documenting knowledge in two buckets, static and dynamic. Hmm. So what I mean by static is static knowledge would answer the question, who, what, where, when, why? So what's the org chart? What are the core values? When are the team huddles? Static information. Mm -hmm. Process answers the question, how? How do you onboard a new client? How do you do payroll? Right? How do you offboard a team member? So it's still knowledge that you're documenting, but you want to have a checklist that's generated every time you do it. One, to make sure that you don't miss steps. But two, if you document it in one of these digital tools, you can connect it to an automation tool like Zapier or other ones, and you can start automating steps Mm -hmm. in the process too. And that's where it gets really powerful. So like take hiring, for example, there might be 20, 50 steps in my hiring process. And if they're interviewing for a marketing role and we select marketing, that might dynamically change another set of questions versus if we're hiring someone that's a developer. And then, but maybe there's still some commonality between both processes where we want to send a contractor agreement, add them to certain systems. And like now we can literally just check a box and automatically they get an email congratulating them or automatically sending them a contractor agreement. And when they sign it, that might automatically create another checklist to be created to let us know that it's now our turn to do other things. So it's a fantastic tool, but process documentation, it's a never ending journey. We're constantly updating SOPs and processes. But it, to your point, it's an asset and you have to look yeah. at it as an asset. And the stress test is you should be able to sit down and look at a process without any help, execute the process. That's how you know that your company is well-documented. Wow. And I know that's something that's also a big push with EOS, so Entrepreneurial Operating System, is for letting people know that that needs to happen. So this is congruent with a lot of really good business coaching that I know Mark Winters, who wrote Rocket Fuel, is a client of mine. Oh, Mark's awesome. And I interviewed him on Rocket Fuel, actually, for this podcast. So, Hi, Mark. Hi, Mark. (laughs) He's a buddy. He might be coming in February, too, to Bullseye. Oh, my gosh. That's so exciting. Okay, so talk about you also, you have leverage. And then your other company is where you actually coach people on how they can become more efficient businesses. Yep. And then you've got Bullseye. So I wasn't out trying to become a business efficiency consultant. But I kind of fell into it. People saw how I built leverage. We scaled it really quickly to seven figures, no office, fully remote, just by leveraging systems and tools in smart ways. And people started reaching out asking if I could help consult them on like operational efficiency. So over the last couple of years, I started working with people like Lee Richter, who owns a vet hospital up to, you know, 
Poopery and other big companies. And I found, like I was saying before, there was these common issues that everyone was facing, both issues that I had at leverage and that I was fixing at leverage, but every company was kind of falling into the same issues. So almost a year ago, Lee Brower from Strategic Coach, who's a close friend, we were just doing a catch-up call and I was saying to him, look, 80% of what I'm doing... Now, there's every company has their unique specific things. And once you get into deep process stuff, that's hard to do in a group thing because you know, if you take someone's problem, it could be, hey, we're getting too many calls from someone out of state and I'm not licensed to deal with them out of state. How do I solve that? And then like the answer is like very specific where it's like, well, we could detect from the IP address what state they're in and then spin up a different landing page or have a chat bot that knows that and asks a different sequence of So that starts getting specific and that you can't do in group. But this CPR framework, how to think about these tools, what is a communication tool versus project management versus process and SOP documentation? You know, that framework, whatever the tools are that you use in those buckets, that's a framework that works with everyone. So teaching people that framework in group is something that's really valuable and effective. So we partnered up. And Lee's really a master of strategy. But the way that I think of it is the difference between efficiency versus effectiveness. Uh-huh. Efficiency is doing things right and effectiveness is doing the right things. And Lee is great at making sure you're effective, making sure you're clear on strategy. So we called it bullseye because to hit a bullseye, you have to be aiming in the right direction, but you have to have the right tools to hit it. Oh, I so like it. That's what we're up to. And we do three events a year. And the thing we've been mentioning in February is February 5th through 7th in Austin, where we get a great group of really high-level entrepreneurs and we go deep into that content. That's very cool. Well, it's neat because you have so many different ways for people to tap into this. You've got leverage where people can access those actual resources. They can do the deep dive with you and their company, or they can come and be with other, you know, as you said, high-powered entrepreneurs and have that group experience, which may not be as deep as individual, but still there's a whole collaboration that happens there. Yeah, yeah, totally. And, you know, there's all these new tools out there. I mean, we've been using, for example, email for 30 years. That's not a new tool. Most people don't know how to use email properly. And like, if you just learn email properly, you can save hours a week. But people, furthermore, don't know the difference. When do you use email versus text versus there's a new tool out there called Slack? So I give guidelines, you know, text is for personal, email for external, Slack for internal. And then even going deeper, how do you optimize email so that you can actually get to inbox zero. Well, the best way to get to inbox zero is to get to email zero. So, you know, using these other tools when it's most appropriate. And then how do you optimize it? How do you integrate it with other tools? How do you automate things? And that's kind of more advanced stuff. But even just the framework of when do you use these tools? Another example would be when do you use a communication tool versus a project management tool? A lot of people project manage via communication tools, Mm. which is suboptimal because things get lost. An example I use is if you have a team and you were going to go camping in the forest, you would need walkie-talkies to communicate with each other, but you would need a map to navigate out of the forest. And a lot of people are using their walkie-talkies as maps and they're texting team members, hey, can you get this done by Friday or what's the status of this? And it just gets lost. And that's furthermore adding to that scavenger hunt that every company's sitting in. So removing the scavenger hunt so people can focus on their unique ability and take advantage of all the latest technology out there, which can really transform your company if it's used properly. I love it. There's so much I want to ask you. (laughs) Some of it personal. How do I do something better? So just for fun, I mean, I love that even just your clarification about, you know, 
text and email and Slack and that kind of thing. So if someone has just a disastrous email inbox where it's just read, unread, some folders inconsistently used, where do you start? Because it's easy when you guys have so many connections and it's intense. Give a real basic, simple starting point. So I always, when I work with companies, focus on communication first. Mm -hmm. There isn't a magic pill that I found except with communication tools, right? The other stuff is more longer term investments, super critical, but it might be, hey, we're going to save a minute here, five minutes here, 30 seconds here. Email and Slack and communication is the only magic pill that I find where you can save every person in the company five hours a week plus if you clean it up and use it properly. So that it's really critical that you get communication dialed in. So here's a few tricks. This first thing is text for personal, email for external, Slack or Microsoft Teams or Facebook has one. I like Slack, but use whichever one. Separating kind of the different categories of communication and keeping it well contained there. And in order for this to stick, you have to have buy-in from the whole company. It doesn't work if your boss is still texting you, but your colleagues are slacking you and someone else is emailing. You want to have it separate. One, it reduces the scavenger hunt significantly because now I know, oh, Shannon is on my team. I will look in Slack to find that information. So at least right away, it like reduces by two-thirds the tools to look at to find information. And like I said before, the best way to get to inbox zero is to get to email zero. So once you kind of get all of that stuff out of email that didn't belong in email, another mistake people make is they think that being at inbox unread is the same as inbox zero, which is not because your eye is still cognitively processing it. So there's just a handful of things you should do with email. I like Gmail but you could use whichever one you like. Are you guys using Gmail or Outlook? I was using Gmail personally, and we've just switched over to G Suite. So yes, our whole company now is Okay, great. So G Suite is great. That's what we use at Leverage as well. So in G Suite or in Gmail, you can click on the gear icon and you can select primary social promotions. So right away, that gets like a lot of junk stuff out. Then there's some settings where you could get it so you're not getting pinged every time those new emails come in and you can have it come in once a day in like one row. Hmm. Another big thing that people don't utilize in email is snoozing. So take this podcast, for example, like this was very professional. You guys were sending PDFs of different impact filter tools and stuff about what we're going to get out of it and what the link is, right? I didn't need that email sitting in my inbox for the last two weeks. It was really relevant just yesterday Uh to get prepared for this, right? So I snoozed that email till yesterday. Cool. So it wasn't sitting in my inbox. So I inbox is just a to-do list that other people can add to, right? So that's all it is. And if you think about email just as a to-do list, it, it makes it way easier to tackle it. And you don't need all those folders. Like that's a whole nother issue. You just need to know how to search properly. Like it's the name of the game with anything, whether it's email or anything, is how do you find information as fast as possible? right? Like I feel like a company can only scale as fast as knowledge can be transferred. So if folders are the fastest way to find information, great, but typically it's not. And using search in an efficient way is faster at finding information. That's, by the way, a fabulous quote. (laughs) Just so you know, a company can only scale only as fast as it can transfer knowledge. Yes. So that's really what you're focused on is helping everyone- TM. TM, <laughs> Nick Sonnenberg, everyone, you heard it here. <laughs> Absolutely. You've, 
you've met Dan. <laughs> but I love that. And I think one of the big dangers as companies grow, and we're both, you know, in the business of helping entrepreneurs and teams grow and grow well, not just fast, because we've all seen going up and then going down again. And that leaves scar tissue. Mm-hmm. You know, when, when people have been burned a few times, they're like, not doing it again. So I really like to keep people's spirits up. <laughs> and we, how we do that is by doing it well, if not the very first time, then at least the second and third, and to learn so that you're like, you're willing to take on those risks and those challenges again. And you, it's really fun, Nick, kind of jumping into your brain and seeing how you look at things. Your perspective is very cool, very unique, and very educated. I mean, you've already given us a ton of tips. So this is fun. Yeah. I'm sure you have like a kajillion more. I mean, yeah. Do you have four more hours? We could just... <laughs> Get a just pillow. Geek out. Let's just keep. Yeah. No, but look, ultimately, it's back to some fundamental strategic coach concepts of unique ability. It's really like an underpinning with both of my companies and everything I do. You know, no one likes going on a scavenger hunt. That's no one's unique ability. And there's secondary effects to these things, right? Like you're up leveling the work that people are doing. So you're improving kind of their work experience. It'll increase employee retention. It'll It'll do a whole bunch of other things too when you implement proper systems and use them in right ways. Cool. Last question before we wrap up. One of the things that I notice, and Coach, we're coming up to our 30th anniversary. Wow. I know. Congratulations. I know. It's a bit crazy. It's like no one's been around (laughs) unless you're, you know, zero. Well, they're gone. Never mind. You know, unless you're a really big company. So what do you see as a company is growing? I'm very aware that there needs to be a mindset or an attitude of eagerly taking on if not the first new version of something, like you have to stay aware and astute and be willing to embrace new efficient technologies and have the capabilities. And that's both willingness and a capability to take on new things. Or, and I don't want to say you're going to be left in the dust. That's a bit dramatic, but it might be true. What are your thoughts on that? Because there almost has to be, Mm -hmm. at least within our teams, a willingness to kind of take on and be willing to learn new systems frequently. I think that we're living in a really interesting time where there's all these new fantastic tools out there and work is changing. Like there's all these stats. We could talk way more about this, but the future of work is remote. When I give talks, I talk a lot about this. These tools are critical in order for you to support. And I'm not promoting that every company should have fully remote companies, but you are really limiting your potential if you have to have 100% of your staff all located in one building right? That's not the model of the future, mm-hmm. right? So one, you're limited in terms of geography where you can hire people. And it's the odds that in that 30 mile radius around the headquarters, that that's really the best place in the world to find that talent is really low probability. And it's really limiting if you can't work with people in other states or other mm-hmm. countries, right? It might be higher skill sets, lower cost. But also, If you can't offer that because you're not set up with these systems Mm -hmm. and they get a job offer, and this is, I'll give an example of someone on my team, but if someone gets a job offer for the same money, same kind of intellectual curiosity, but they could work from wherever and they don't have to sit in an hour traffic every day. You know, if you don't like cold winters in Canada, you can go down to South America, take your family down there and work by a beach in the warm, right? So all things being equal, if you can have that quality of life. People are going to start gravitating to that. One of our team members, Andrew, was making six figures and a great job. And he was that guy sitting in traffic every day commuting. And we offered him the same salary. And now he walks seven miles a day on a walking treadmill. Wow. He's a walking treadmill in his house. He's spending like a month in the winter down somewhere warm. I, have, I don't know where he's going. And 
he's not sitting in an hour commute back and forth every day, spending more time with his family, making the same money. And if anything, he's more intellectually stimulated, I would imagine. But even if that weren't the case, all other things aside, we've increased the quality of his life. So companies really ought to think about these things seriously because Andrew's not the first and last person to make that jump for quality of life decisions. Uh And I imagine the demographic that's soon becoming the largest, the millennial group, is this is what they grew up with. This is what is their normal. And so, you know, that's really who we need to be cognizant of and catering to as the nature of work changes. Yeah. You have to be careful because you do lose something. It's not that it's exactly the same working remote, you know, that face-to-face interaction. You know, we try to balance it by meeting a few times a year in person and using these tools in certain ways, you know, like I could write a message to someone in Slack or I could record a video of me explaining it and send them video so they're seeing my face. So there's different ways of using the tools so that you're still getting that culture that you want and that Mm -hmm. face-to-face without being physically in person. And that's really important too. Yeah, and that's, oh, I wish we had more time to talk about that. (laughs) Because I am someone who works face-to-face with most of my people all the time. Our workshops are all face-to-face. You even get people together, you know, for the bullseye events. So there is a real value to that. But I think really focusing on streamlining those things that don't require face-to-face or that are just a communication of a task or automating some of that work that, frankly, is repetitive so that we can free ourselves up for the meaningful conversations, however those best happen. And the cool thing is, like we're looking, even though we're recording this for audio, we're looking at each other right now. So I can see your facial expression and we can gauge our who's talking when. You know, it's just getting better and better and better all the time to be able to interact with people in a way it's not quite into holographs yet, but (laughs) one day I'm hoping. I think there's just really paying attention to what does need to be in person and then being incredibly strategic about everything else. Totally. I love it. All right. So people want to know more about you. Your book is Idea to Execution, How to Optimize, Automate, Outsource Everything in Your Business. Your next one, which I'm super excited about, is coming up for air. Yeah. (laughs) So if people want to like get more Nick and get more leverage, what do they do? You just go to getleverage.com or they could email me, nick at getleverage.com. I'm pretty efficient with managing the email, so I'm not worried about that. But those are the two best ways. To get in touch. Do you actually answer all your own email or how does that happen? I have a process, but yeah, I answer all my email. Of course. <laughs> <laughs> or all your email gets answered. When it all gets answered. <laughs> there you go. No, most of the time it's me that will answer. That's super cool. Yeah, you answered mine, so I was happy. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> awesome, Nick. Thank you so much. This is totally fascinating. I have so many takeaways and it's both the tools, like Process Street sounds fascinating, but you're thinking about it and really observing what companies are doing well, what they're not doing well, how they need to up their game, and how you're going to, well, attract and keep really talented people. And actually just having the mindset, let's get the best talent we can no matter where they are, and creating the systems for that to happen well, I think is incredibly educational. And for some people, it will be a wake-up call. Other people are like, well, duh. So there's always that spectrum. But I love getting your insight. And just thank you for all the work that you do and how you love to kind of explore your passions because it's a real benefit to everybody else. Thank you for having me. I'm a big fan of, of you and everything at Strategic Coach. Oh, that's awesome, Nick. Thank you so much. 
Everyone, thank you so much for listening. I hope you got as much out of this conversation with Nick Sonnenberg as I did. I am completely inspired and out of the gap about what I can do to help make my life and my business life and my personal life a lot more efficient. And it's given me a lot of confidence to really step out and take advantage of some of these awesome efficiency technologies. So I hope, again, that you enjoy it. Please get in touch with Nick at nick at getleverage.com or check out getleverage.com. Thanks so much, everyone. And as always, here's to your team success. The Team Success video series is a brand new online learning platform to give your team the tools to thrive in an entrepreneurial business. Whether you have five team members or 500, Shannon Waller provides expert strategies for confidence, harmony, and success. You're just one click away at teamsuccessvideoseries.com. Teamsuccessvideoseries.com.